you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, and we'll be finishing off the chapter, so it's verses 31 to 37. If you paid careful attention to the passage of Scripture that the worship team read from Isaiah 35, and careful attention to the last song that uh, we were just singing together, Uh, it's important to see that that lost song that we sang is, is sung in the mode of sort of thinking about the big picture in terms of the completion of Isaiah 35. As we'll see in our text for this morning, which makes reference to Isaiah 35, there's aspects of that that are already here, that we already experience, and there's aspects of that that are a little overly optimistic about where we already are and what we can expect and do, in fact, experience. And interestingly enough, our text for this morning, I think, is designed by Mark to get us to think about that a bit, both parts of it, what we already have, what we don't have yet, and hence our title for this morning, Jesus Already and not yet. Already and not yet. So let's stand one more time. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. And he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha, which is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear And the mute, he makes to speak. 
Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Oh Lord, we do not want you to deal with us in your anger. We do not want you to chastise us in your wrath. But we seek that you would be gracious to us. For we know that we are weak. We seek that you would heal us. For we are often dismayed right down to the center of our souls dismayed dismayed because of our health dismayed because of our relationships dismayed because of the political elements in the world dismayed by the intensity and carnage of natural disasters, we are often exceedingly dismayed. And we find ourselves saying with the psalmist, O Lord, how long, how long will our health be like this? How long will our relationships be like this? How long will our politics be like this? How long will the world stage be filled with so much conflict and so many disasters? And so, Lord, we pray that you would meet us where, we, where you have placed us and where you find us on this day. And restore our souls, O Lord, and rescue us and save us for the sake of your steadfast love, which you have set upon us. Lord, that you would keep us praising you, that you would keep us saving you. That even when our eyes go faint because of trouble and all of the opposition to your people and to your cause is daunting to us. Oh Lord, we pray that you would walk beside us, that you would hear the sound of our cries for help, that you would hear our petitions, that you would receive our prayers. And we pray, Father, for those who are in opposition to you, that in the end, it would be them and not your people who are put to shame. It would be them and not your people who are utterly completely dismayed. And you assure us that the day will come. Uh, We have read about it, we have sung about it, and you assure us 
that the day will come in which you will indeed make all things new through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We look to that day in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. As I noted earlier in the worship time, the worship team read Isaiah 35. And Mark definitely means for those reading his gospel to think of particularly the middle of Isaiah 35. Uh, When it was being read, maybe you noticed what it said in the middle, verses 5 and 6. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And then Mark 7. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Mark 7 again. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Now, in the last hundred years or so, there's been a great deal of scholarly study on how New Testament authors are using the Old Testament. And among the pieces of broad consensus that have arisen out of all that study is that when Mark has Isaiah 35 in the back of his mind as he tells this story, He doesn't only have Isaiah 35, 5, and 6 in the back of his mind. That is, he doesn't only have the pieces of the story that connect pretty directly to the details of his story. But rather, he has the broader big picture of Isaiah 35 also in mind. Because he knows that it gives us some things to reflect on and some things to think about. For instance, right on the surface, right, of our, of our text, yes, this guy's hearing is completely restored and his speech is completely restored But it's not suddenly like there's streams in the desert. No, if you you go and visit Jerusalem, you'll still find Roman soldiers there. You'll still find a great deal of injustice there. You'll still find uh, plenty of deaf and mute people around, as well as plenty of lepers and plenty of cripples, plenty of blind people. Plenty of people troubled in any number of ways. 
And so although Jesus is here, and the power of God is breaking into the present age, the totality of Isaiah 35 pretty clearly is not arising altogether. Remind you of the first four verses that come up to the two verses that Mark touches on directly. And the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. But he hasn't come. And the Romans are still there. Oh, this guy hears and this guy speaks. So something magnificent has happened. But the full weight of Isaiah 35, though in one sense fulfilled in Jesus, right now, this guy is hearing and speaking. It's not in the broader sense. Fully fulfilled yet in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you remember how Jesus described his relationship to the Old Testament? Matthew 5.17, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, Jesus understands himself to be the fulfillment of Isaiah 35. Make no mistake, he is the fulfillment. He's fulfillment of the whole thing. He's already a fulfillment of one part of it, which is what they're seeing take place in their midst. The deaf are hearing, mute are speaking, We embrace this Messiah who fulfills all of the Old Testament promises which lead all the way to the new heaven and the new earth. But though Jesus has been here, Messiah has come. A kingdom has been established already. But many aspects of it, many aspects of it, even that Isaiah refers to in chapter 35, they're not here yet. And all of that is reflected right in this brief little story. And I think quite consciously reflected by Mark and for our sake so that we'll realize this, see life in this realistic way. Our thesis is simple. Hearing and speaking are great gifts from God that he can restore to anyone that he pleases, but hearing and speaking are great gifts of God 
will reflect on this from three vantage points. Number one, uh, we are to see both miracle and metaphor here. We are to see both miracle and metaphor here. Verses 31 to 33, then he returned to the region of Tyre, went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis, same place where he cast the demons and put them into the hogs, Decapolis, 10-city region, so pretty broad area being referred to here. He went into the region of the Decapolis, where those 10 cities are, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. In one sense, it's just a really simple tale, straightforward. It's a healing story. Jesus heals a deaf guy. Um, as we'll see in a moment. Uh, which tells us a great deal about the biblical worldview, right? The biblical worldview is, frankly, and openly supernatural. Uh, that is, in the Bible, the understanding is there are transcendent powers outside of the universe that can invade the universe whenever they please. That the universe is not independent, it's not accidental, but rather it's dependent, it's created, it's sustained, it has purposes, and those purposes are the purposes of the God who created it. And we get a specific illustration of the implications of that worldview in a story like this, where a guy that was not going to improve his hearing by any natural means, beyond all the medicine of the day, beyond anything else in that day, suddenly his hearing is restored, and it's restored by supernatural power. So it is, on the one hand, straightforwardly, simply a miracle story. However, in the context of the Gospel of Mark, which also is the context of the broader New Testament, which is the context of the broader teaching of the Bible, uh, there is also excellent reason, specifically thinking of the context of Isaiah 35, that we have broader issues and broader thoughts at work here, and that it's not just a miracle story, but it's also, um, I should say, it's not just a miracle story of hearing, but it's also a metaphorical story about Jesus restoring hearing. Remember back in chapter 4 of Mark, Mark 4, 9, Jesus says to a crowd, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, where do you get ears to hear? Well, you get those from Jesus. It's it's not physical hearing, but it's equally impossible to come up with it on your own. So it can be referred to. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus in John 10 speaks about it this way. He says to a group of unbelieving people, John 10, 26, you don't believe because you are not my sheep. Now, if they would have responded, well, how do you know we're not your sheep? He'll have anticipated them, for he says, well, my sheep... Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. But to put it in the brief form, my sheep hear. My sheep hear. The very nature of being one of God's elect is that you're given ears to hear. Jesus comes into the world and he gives physical hearing. He gives spiritual hearing. Sunday school hour this fall, we're in the book of Revelation, soon be arriving at the seven churches, the individual letters to each of those churches, which all have this same line in them. Seven paragraphs in a row, Revelation 2 and 3. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So where does somebody get this hearing? Well, they get it from the same place that this guy got his miraculously granted physical hearing. They get miraculously granted spiritual hearing. A new heart, new mind, new covenant applied to them. Secondly, we are to see both transcendence and tragedy here. We are to see both transcendence and tragedy here. Um, Now, we've already seen Jesus puts his fingers in this guy's ear and then he spits and puts, uh, apparently, his spittle on this guy's tongue. But neither of those things automatically accomplishes anything. Where the miracle actually takes place is verse 34. And looking up to heaven... He sighed and said to him, and then he says the word in Aramaic, Ephaphatha, and then translates it. That is, be opened. He says it in Aramaic, Greek, he translates it into Koine Greek, Mark does. The key piece to see here is, and looking up to heaven, We saw that same thing back in Mark chapter 6 when Jesus gets ready 
to turn a boy's lunch into food for 5,000 people. As he gets ready to do that, he looks up to heaven. Uh, That is, he looks up to God who is in the heavens, who can do, as the psalmist says, anything that he pleases. Psalm 115, 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And Jesus, having looked up, depends upon God to restore this guy's hearing. And so he does. Now, we're supposed to think that way every day, right? So Jesus says, whenever you pray, how do you begin your prayer? Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father who is the God in heaven who does whatever he pleases. Our Father is that sovereign Lord of Psalm 115.3. And we are to remind ourselves of that every single time we pray. So when you pray, you remind yourself that God is a Father to you as a people and that he is exalted in the heaven. Nobody above him He's in the heavens. He can do whatever he pleases. Remind yourself of that every single time you pray. Because that's the reality that you live in. And you need to know it. You need to know it. And you especially need to know it because... Of the next thing John writes, it's kind of surprising, isn't it? And looking up to heaven, speaking of Jesus, he sighed. He groaned. He groaned. Jesus experiences the fallenness and the painfulness of life, his own life. Seeing people all the time who are going to pay him no attention. Walking around with a disciple who's going to turn his back and go away. Living in a political environment that is proud and arrogant. Um, Plenty of Deafness still around physically and spiritually. The world is a mess, so to speak. It truly is. Now, sometimes our, our expectations as Christians are overly optimistic in this regard. We have the idea in the back of our minds that if we achieve a level of consistency, all of our need to be sighing and groaning will go away. Clearly, that's not, that's not so. Now, we're drastically inconsistent. We always have plenty of room for improvement. But the thing that's striking here is that it's Jesus who groans. And he's perfectly, inconsist- perfectly consistent. He has no room for improvement. And still, he groans. We were taught a little chorus when I was a kid. 
saying it when I was a little boy. Um, the scholars would refer to this sort of course as a, an instance of what they referred to as overrealized eschatology. There we were, a bunch of five-year-olds being taught an overrealized eschatology. Uh, here's how it went. Uh, some of you will remember it if you're of a certain age and if you're in a certain kind of, of church. Um, it's a good reminder for those who think that the only shallow lyrics have ever been written in the last 40 years. Not true. Shallow, shallow lyrics have a much richer history than that. Uh, they go back. They go back a long ways. Um, we would sing, I'm in right, out right, upright, downright, happy all the time. I'm in right, out right, upright, downright, happy all the time. Since Jesus Christ came in, he cleansed my heart from sin. And I'm in right, out right, upright, downright, happy all the time. And Jesus groaned. He sighed. He let us know, no, no, Isaiah 35 has not been fully established yet. This place where we live, this place where you live, this place where I live. This is not the place where every tear has already been wiped away. It's not like that here. There's plenty of reasons left to sigh and to groan. And so we find ourselves doing uh, just that. So looking up to heaven, he sighed. And he said to him, Ephaphatha, which is, be opened, and his ears were opened, and his tongue released. And he spoke plainly, great, great news. We know the sovereign Lord, but yet, right? It's right side by side. You can look to heaven and you still groan. It's good to know. Good to know. Be realistic. Paul wrote this about the world in which we live in Romans 8, 22 and 23. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that is, we really do know Jesus, the Spirit is inside of us, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly the adoption as sons, which isn't here yet, the redemption of our bodies. So we are live confidently in the existence of the sovereign Lord who is in the heavens and who can do anything. But realistically, he hasn't fixed everything yet. 
And he's not likely to fix everything in your life or mine either. He hasn't yet. Hasn't yet. Talked to him about many things, many times. He hasn't fixed those yet. And so, like Jesus, we groan. Even while we know, even while we trust the sovereign Lord. Thirdly, we are to see both disobedience and delighted confidence here. We are to see both disobedience and delighted confidence here. Verse 36 and 37. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. The more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Um, Even very conservative commentators, they all kind of shake their heads when they get to these places in in the Synoptic Gospel records where where Jesus performs a miracle that can hardly be hidden and then asks the group to hide it. You know, what... What's that about? How, is he supposed, how are they supposed to do that? Uh, so he performs a pretty public miracle. Somebody that was dead is now up walking around. Uh, somebody that here was deaf, couldn't talk. Now they can hear with precision and they can talk normally. We saw this same thing back in chapter 1, Mark 1, 41. Moved with pity, he stretched forth his hand, and he touched him and said, I will be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made clean, and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. Except the priests, so you got to obey the law, so you got to go show the priest, but nobody, nobody else, nobody else. See that you say nothing to anyone, but show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. <laughs> and he went away and started to talk freely all about it, which is exactly what happens here. Uh, The more he charged them not to say anything, the more they told everyone they met. That's what we're like. Uh, The only commentator that I read on this that had anything insightful to say uh, was... uh, an older commentary, Ezra Gould. You can tell by the name, Ezra Gould. Ezra Gould wrote for what's called the uh, kind of a liberal commentary uh, series, though early on not all of them were so, uh, what's called the International Critical Commentary Series. The volume in Mark was published in 1896. 1896. But here's what Ezra Gould 
wrote in his commentary, and I thought it was quite insightful. The conduct of the multitude is a good example of the way in which men treat Jesus. Yielding him all homage except obedience. Yielding him all homage except obedience. We're great at praising. Oh, Lord, you're so wonderful. You're so magnificent. We'll sing your praises all day long, but we won't do what you say. Right? You can see what they would say here. Why wouldn't you want anybody told? What's the matter with you? You're being overly humble. Right? That's how we think. We often think we know a lot better than Jesus about this, that, and the other thing. Albert Moeller was talking about a conference being held out in um, uh, a mega church in Georgia. North Point, it's kind of a conference designed to say to the evangelical world, all right, look, if we want to reach the present generation, you're going to have to become comfortable with the LGBTQ plus agenda. You just got to, or it's not going to work. Uh, so, look, little compromise. We're about reaching people. So we are embracing this agenda for the sake of reaching people. Yes, but Jesus says, well, oh, no, no, no. He often doesn't know what's good for him. That's what these people think. He often doesn't know what's good for him. More people need to know about him. He tells us, don't tell them. We tell them. We tell them. We love him. We're thrilled about him. We want to advance his cause. We just don't want to do what he says. Oh. Oh. Well, but we don't know better. And the best thing that we can possibly do is exactly what he says. And so you see it here. They go, they ignore the commands of God. They refuse to do what he says. But then he does say this. They say this, they put this into words, and they're right about this in the end. This is, a, this is no doubt an example of them speaking better than they know They say, you know, he does all things well. He does all things well. That's true. He does. But it doesn't seem so now. Better be realistic about that. It doesn't seem so now. No one can look at their life And honestly say, I really like God's plan for my life right down to the smallest detail. I wouldn't change a thing. He does all things well. Oh, I'd change lots of things. 
if I could. I would change lots of things. But I do believe that these guys were speaking better than they know. He does all things well. And when all is said and done, we'll all see that. We'll know it. We don't know it now. We certainly don't experience it now. We experience many things are not as we would want. But now to go full circle to where we started. This is what I meant. When I said, you know when Mark refers to Isaiah 35, he's keeping the whole thing in mind. And here are these two little markers in Isaiah 35. Jesus heals this guy's hearing. It gives him the ability to speak. Isaiah 35 has begun to be fulfilled, but it's not altogether fulfilled yet. All but Mark knows. It will be. It will be. So beginning again in verse 5 and reading back to the end of that 35th chapter of Isaiah. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. Well, they're running everything now. Yeah, but not in the future. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there nor shall there be any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness, and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And Jesus looked to heaven and he sighed. He groaned. And Mark's letting us know, yes, he's already here. But he's not yet consummated this kingdom. Not not only is groaning still here, but he groans here. He groans. But there's a day coming. By the time this sequence is over, 
by the time the kingdom is consummated, they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing that is groaning shall flee away. And then we'll know. And then we'll have the full-blown experience that these people were announcing in advance, better than they knew. We'll know. He has done all things well. So it shall be. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, may we be hopeful and realistic about life in the present age. Hopeful, joyful, but as Paul says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. What a combination of things. Sorrowful but always rejoicing. Groaning but in everything giving thanks. It's the paradox of the present age. Oh Lord, may we rest in you and trust you and live for you from live to you from this place. We ask this to be given to us in Jesus' name. Amen.